the wrong side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. So you played your first game, preseason game with Dallas this week, and one thing that uh, I noticed right away was on Twitter after that, you noticed the music. You noticed the in-game production, you noticed the music, and I just, I just wanted to start with that because you, you, I, th- I think that kind of, if you didn't know, uh, Groobs is the DJ in Dallas. He's got a bit of a fan following as, as a DJ, probably bigger than any other DJ in the NHL. And I think that kind of uh, made you a bit of a fan favorite right away. What? Tell me about, about that, just hearing the uh, the music selection and, and noticing the in-arena stuff just from the first game there. Oh, I, di- I didn't know that he had uh, that big of a following, so that's great for him <laughs> because he's doing a good job. But... Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think every player notices it. And I guess for whatever reason, no one ever mentions it or talks about it. But for me, it just was awesome to hear one of my absolute favorite bands, which is totally kind of an underground metal group, you know, which they've gotten bigger. But um, this Swedish group called Amana Marth, and it just really surprised me to hear it in the third, and it really caught my ear. And then I heard a couple other bands later that I noticed, too. And um Another guy on the team and I both kind of perked our ears because we're both metal fans. So, yeah, yeah, it was just really cool. I mean, you notice those little things. I mean, you can't be just focused on the puck all the time. And when there's TV timeouts, you got some downtime. You know, you Mm -hmm. can decompress a little bit and try to enjoy the surroundings and the event. I'm sitting down here with Mike McKenna. He's he's joined the first year in Texas. Um, How was the... How's the experience been, other than the nice music selections that they were in? How's the experience been Been down here for, I, I know you came down to Cedar Park a couple weeks earlier, but you've been down here for a couple weeks now. It's been great so far, um, just throughout the entire organization. Uh, really positive feel. It feels like everything has this um, this momentum to it that's, that's really kind of fun to be a part of. You know, there's a nice mix of... of Old and new probably aren't the right words, but you have new with new coaching staff, mm-hmm. new, you know, different things like that, along with um, players who've been here a little while that know the way around the city, and um, and then with the with the group that we have that's in the Austin area, Cedar Park, you know, that's a, a grouping of guys who've been there for quite a while and some past teammates. And for myself, that's a big thing. You know, I looked around the rock room the first day, and I think I had ten former teammates mm-hmm. in some capacity or another in there. Um, yeah, and it, it kind of fits the the six degrees of Mike McKenna separation jokes, but uh, it was really cool to see a lot of friends in the room again and, and share the ice with them. How did you end up in, how did how did you end up with the Stars? What was that kind of, I know, because you played, in, you were in Syracuse for parts of last year, I think you got traded for the first time in your career yep. actually, uh, and you spent a lot of your time in the Eastern Conference. How did you end up with, uh, with how did you end up here? Well, uh, this, this free agency was just kind of odd this season. You know, usually the the veteran goalies that, I mean, obviously I fit into that mix, right? Mm-hmm. And veteran depth guys. That yeah. There's a handful of us, and we all usually have a pretty good idea where we're going, I think, when it comes to free agency. And this year was really odd in that the, it took a while for the levy to break. You know, we were all kind of behind the scenes asking one another. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it wasn't until a couple hours into free agency before things really started to move. And it, then it went like dominoes, right? Yeah. And, um, the moment I had an offer from these guys, it was just a no-brainer because of the way, just the fit of the whole thing from Dallas to Austin to, you know, like I said previously, yeah. past teammates, mm-hmm. really, really a, a, a priority on my list for years of where I would have liked to have played. And so um, I was thrilled. My, my family was thrilled. And it's um, it's been great so far. I hope, I hope it only gets better. <laughs> 
And it's, uh, I mean, I know you've played kind of everywhere. You kind of mentioned the six degrees of Mike McKenna. Just what's, what's it been like for you? I know just to kind of, you and your family have gotten pretty good at learning new places. <laughs> yeah, we've gotten good at it. I wish, <laughs> I wish we hadn't been forced to. You know, we certainly would have loved to have some continuity in some place. And I look at Travis Moore and Greg Rallo and I envy them that they've had so much time in one place because their kids have had the ability to grow there to, to kind of establish roots and um, you know I only felt like I had that once in Portland and the team got sold and moved in a matter of a blink of an eye you know um, so we've gotten used to it we've gotten really good at playing U-Haul Tetris we've got I don't know 20 Rubbermaid bins yeah. that we know where things go and we fill it up but it doesn't make it any easier every year it is mm -hmm. tough it's not easy to with two kids once you they start getting older and you know, just little things like if I couldn't bring my daughter's Barbie playhouse she was going to have a, a fit you know so I had to find a way to make sure it made the trip without breaking into a million pieces in the trailer and um but that's part of it you know yeah. I know that eventually someday we'll all look back on it and go man this this was crazy but you know what a great time we had doing it and during the off season you, you still live in St. Louis yeah or? St. Louis is home we've got a house there in yeah. suburban St. Louis so what's the, uh, have you gotten pretty good, and I know one of those things that like to sit down some roots and have things, but have you gotten pretty good at figuring out the rental home market in all of these cities and things like that? I could tell you about rental markets nationwide <laughs> at this point and really how brutally expensive the Northeast is compared to a lot of places up yeah. here. Um, it is amazing what you do not get for your money in a place like <laughs> Springfield, Massachusetts, yeah. and how much you get for your money in a place like Austin. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a very diverse world you find that and mm -hmm. supply and demand is something that's not commonly yeah. it's not the same across the board right it's mm -hmm. truly a real thing and yeah. um, my the inner economist in me learns a lot of lessons when I go to different cities right and, um, it's wild to see but yeah it's it's a really good market in Austin for especially for us as hockey players I know the uh, it's one guy talking. I've talked to Travis. I've talked to uh, Greg Rallo before about, and it's it's we're all, when you're down in Austin, it's you can show up and you can do it in Dallas here too. You can show up to the the short and show up to the rink and shorts, and it's it's and the weather here in January is it's beautiful. I mean, is that did that ever factor in for you when you looked at just like that kind of uh, the atmosphere, the geography, I guess of it? It plays a little part yeah, of it, yeah. sure, um, but I think it's more of a bonus than anything because. <laughs> In the grand picture, you have to look at opportunity uh, in the organization. And I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm 34, and yeah, I know I'm a depth guy. I'm not naive to my situation, but I'm not just doing this for, for the fun of it. I mean, I'm doing it because the NHL is still the carrot at the end of the rope right yeah. now. So um, I still want to be there. Um, but yeah, knowing that my kids can be outside all year round like that is that's a good feeling. You know, we're not bunkered in by snow all the time, but. We'll get our taste of it on the road, and that's fine. How do you uh, how do you find the right fit and the mentality to both? Obviously, there's the carrot for the NHL to keep working towards that, but then also to understand and, and accept that the, the steps that is there. Because I can imagine that one of the reasons you've been able to continue to have such a lengthy career is that you do have a mentally good view of it. How, how did you kind of develop that? I, I think for me is I, I, you know that you have to you have to try to stay with the curve and you have to constantly adapt and move forward um, you know find little innovations in the game that you can adapt for yourself and take on and 
I think for me the biggest thing has always been trying to work closely with my goalie partner and I've been very lucky to have younger guys a lot of the mm -hmm. time that I've been paired with mm -hmm. that I learn as much from them as they do me and I know that a lot of times they ask an older guy oh you're gonna be a mentor to this yeah, kid yeah, yeah. well you know what the, a lot of times the kids coming out now and I I don't like to say kids because they're they're adults you know yeah. but I mean the younger goalies they they're coming from such a strong technical background they've been having private coaching since they're 10 12 years old and mm -hmm. you know they bring these techniques that I can learn from and mm -hmm. and so it's always been for me a collaborative effort to do that um, but biggest thing for me is I just try to have as much fun as I can with it it's it's not worth it if it's not fun y you can't go to the rink thinking it's the entire world every day yeah. you know there's so much more to life there's so much more to to being a professional athlete and if all you think about all day long is hockey it, you're just not going to last. It's tough. You cannot mentally do that. Well, not many guys, I, I know at least, can. And So I just try to enjoy it. The technical side of things, it's interesting because you see every, I guess every two, three years in goaltending, you see things like, I think most recently, I think of just how the, the reverse VH is now, sure. is, 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 is now in vogue. Anything, as you've kind of looked how things have evolved, what little parts, elements of your game do you think of now that when you were first come, turning pro that... Uh, I'm, Probably would have never done that before. Anything, any elements like that that you've kind of picked up over the... Well, you really, I mean, you hit on the first one yeah. there, and I know we're getting highly technical yeah. here, and so, um, you, folks, you may have to Google a little bit of this to kind of get a full grasp of what we're talking about, but mm -hmm. um, reverse VH is a way that we play on our posts where essentially our skate blade goes flat to the post, and we seal in that way. Um, that was a major innovation because mm -hmm. we started to seal the front side effectively but still have access to making saves on the back side. Mm -hmm. That was just game-changing. And I was really lucky a few years ago that when this started to become um, a big thing for us, I was in the Blue Jackets organization and Sergei Bobrovsky was the master of this. Mm -hmm. And I actually wrote an article for Ingle Magazine okay. about it. Um, Inglemag.com. Yep. Uh, you guys can <laughs> search it out. but. Uh, but I, so I was able to adapt to this really early in the, yeah. in the process and learn it. And you know, having Ian Clark, the goalie coach, and Sergey Bobrovsky, who are masters of this, teach me is what made me effective at it. Mm -hmm. And you know, now most everybody's catching up in a hurry, but they're still in a right way, right and a wrong way to do yeah. things, right? Yep. And so um, it's been fun to teach a few guys over the years that I've played with um, how to do it the right way. And it's in the summertime teaching kids that are just mimicking what they yeah. see an NHL guy do yeah. and it's not quite right and then <laughs> you get them to really get how it's supposed to be and all of a sudden it's like a light bulb goes off yeah. and I think that's completely changed how we play and it's not just reverse but it's just post play in general mm -hmm. um, whether it's traditional VH or reverse whatever yeah. it is um, post plays changed everything because now we're playing more within the posts um, we always have a home base for the most part we're not chasing pucks as much uh, and it's just, it's changed everything. And, you know, a dozen years ago, I would have never dreamt of going skate blade on post like that. And mm -hmm. It's been fun to learn and do it and see it work well. I mean, yeah, in simple terms, it's kind of created a more controlled environment almost for a goalie, for someone who doesn't understand exactly what we're talking about, yeah, correct? It's, yeah, I mean, it really does. You yeah. know, we used to never use the posts as a bumper or as a pushing point. It was always to use your skate blade. And so... What you've really done is cut down on the number of things you need to do to move. Yeah. It just makes it that much more efficient. Mm -hmm. And I mean, efficiency is everything, whether 
you know, whether you're driving a race car and you want your car to be more aerodynamically efficient or whether you're a yeah. goaltender and you want to be more efficient with your edges, it's the same, same <laughs> principle. So um, it's changed everything. On the uh, less technical side and something that people can see, um, one thing that I mentioned this to you when I first asked you to step to do the podcast with me, and uh, you're not actually left-handed, even though someone who would 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 uh, watch you in the preseason game, watch you in practice, you would think you're left-handed because you catch with your right hand. You were telling me that how, you were telling me about the other. Can you tell me again how how did that start? How did you end up catching with your right hand? And or I know as Razor likes to use the word silly cider. That's so for goalie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's funny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've heard. You know, goofy. There's there's yeah. a lot of different words yeah. to describe that. Mm-hmm. If you if you pick up a hockey catalog, full right. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's odd. Mm-hmm. Um, what's really odd though is that there's not many of us that catch with our right. Yeah. And you look at players and half shoot lefts, half shoot right. It doesn't make any sense. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I catch a baseball with my left hand and I catch a puck with my right, which seems completely odd to everybody at first. Um, but when you think about it, you know, if you throw a loaf of bread at somebody, they can probably catch it with either hand yeah. somewhat efficiently. Yeah. But go and try to throw it with the other hand. And I throw right-handed. I catch a baseball with my left hand. But the biggest thing for me and why I think I eventually ended up catching with my right hand as a goalie is that I started out shooting pucks in the basement as a kid and passing pucks with my dad, and I did it right-handed. And that's what felt normal to me. So I think that I always wanted to shoot the puck right-handed as a goalie also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And catching with my right hand allowed me to shoot the same way as I did when I played forward or defense. And so it just seemed to be what kind of felt natural. And growing up too, my first, the first goalie I saw yeah. play for the St. Louis Blues that really I caught on to was Greg Millen. And he also caught with his right. So maybe that had something to do with it too. I don't know, but um, that's the reason why. But it's funny, like today I was talking with Marty Turco and you know he shoots left-handed when he plays out mm-hmm. and yeah. he shoots left-handed as a goalie. Yeah. And so we kind of had a bit of a kinship there and we you know, kind of had a wink knowing that, yeah, we can shoot the puck pretty well at a young age because of that. Why'd you become a goalie in the first place? Okay, so there's there's three reasons why anybody becomes a goaltender. And you can tell I have this answer ready, right? Because yeah, yeah. we get it all the yeah, time, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Yep. Um, so I'll give you the three answers. Okay. I'll let you guess which one you think okay. is why I became a goaltender. Okay. Uh, first one, you have older siblings who put you into the net because they needed somebody to shoot at. Uh, second one, and thankfully I think this is being phased out, uh, is that it used to be if you couldn't skate or you were out of shape, they put you in the goal when you first started. <laughs> you know, oh, this kid can't skate. He's a goalie. Uh, and then the third one is the equipment. Yeah. Guys show up at the rink, they see the masks, they see the custom gear, um, and that's why. So take your best guess at what you think it is for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess it's the equipment. Yeah, you're yeah. right. I'm an only child. Yeah. <laughs> I was a pudgy kid, yeah. but I wasn't terribly out of shape, and I was an okay skater. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I... It was the equipment for me. I, I was really lucky that my dad and my grandfather were off-ice officials at the St. Louis Blues. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that let me go to every home game as a kid. And I would show up in warm-ups early because they had to be there. Yeah. And we'd go and we'd sit and I'd always watch the opposing team because I wanted to see what equipment their goalie had. You yeah. know? And so you know, Ed Belfour would come to town with great saves pads. And you know, Patrick Waugh would come and he just got coho pads. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I knew all these guys. Yeah. And, I knew everything that they wore right away, and uh, that's what drew me to the position. Yeah, I played I played goalie myself up through high school, and and almost in, almost played club hockey in college before a knee injury. And the uh, I remember the 
when I first I first started playing street hockey and still had the old black Mylek pads. Then the uh, I had the white ones. Yeah, yep. yeah we all did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had the black Mylek pads, and then I started. Then I learned to skate and got the the uh, old uh, the cohos that looked like wah. Even though I grew up in New Jersey and grew up as a Brodor fan and watched Brodor play, I just remember went to the store and got to pick out the pads and everything like that. Um, did you ever? I remember you mentioned. Uh, Belfort, and for whatever reason, just goalie equipment jumped into my head. Did you ever use the uh, or see the uh, the old Curtis curve stick? Yeah, I never used that. Yeah, that was a gimmick. Yeah, that was yeah, that was <laughs> not my thing. I remember the Christian stick that had the uh, <laughs> yeah the uh, that's uh, yeah that Curtis curve was interesting because it had the big gooseneck handle on it that was supposed yeah. to help people shoot. And yeah, I think it was for people that didn't shoot that hand normally, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. So. Nowadays, it kind of makes sense because you'd go paddle down; it would seal the ice on one end. Yeah. But yeah, that that thing was all kinds of goofy, and it was also really heavy because it had to be made out of solid wood rather than a laminate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I never used those, but I did use Christian six for a long time because I Grant Fear had them in St. Louis, mm-hmm. um, and that was what my I mean even today my bowers are based on an old Grant Fear Christian from 25 years mm-hmm. ago. Speaking of the equipment, you've got the uh, you've got the new Bowers, but they've got the look to the old uh, to the old setup from about six or seven years ago, I, I think. No, even older than that. But yeah, yeah I use these juniors through. I use these from when I was fifteen until twenty. Yeah. So about fourteen years retro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How, how'd you end up getting? Because obviously, it's 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 the pad now is more flat, and they can do. I know Bauer can do more of that screen printing stuff on there. So how did you kind of come up with the idea for the the retro look on the pads? Uh, so, yeah, I use Bauer pads. I use their Supreme. It's a two S series now, yeah. and they're totally flat faced, mm-hmm. uh, and they always have been. Um, and they're a really unique design. You know, they're made strictly with lightweight foams and a different skin to them and all elastic strapping they're just really unique on the market and so um, last year at the heritage game i saw freddie anderson they made a retro set of Mm -hmm. reactor six pads that cujo used to wear back in the day and i mean i was on the horn like that i mean like the moment i saw him yeah i had a text fired to my guy at bauer immediately like (laughs) we're doing this i need i need my college set my reactor fives Mm and we had them mocked up actually from Springfield, and then they ended up making a set for Tampa that I didn't get to use. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they've kind of been refining this process for the last couple of years, and so my pads are a throwback to my favorite design of all time, which was the Reactor 5 series, and my glove was a Reactor 6, mm-hmm. and I actually used to use a Brian's glove, our blocker back then, mm-hmm. so we couldn't replicate yeah. that, so we just <laughs> went with a Reactor 5 blocker, but um, they're just, they look so cool to me, and I knew. Yeah. I realize that they're not perfect. Like you, it's a screen printed thing, and you know people will say it looks like it's airbrushed or whatever. Well, it's a tribute, you know. It's a tribute to what my pads, what I loved growing up, that traditional look. And I mean, to me, I think they look great from a distance, which is where most people are going to see them from anyway. You know, if you're two feet away, yeah, they might look a little different, but um, I'm thrilled with how they came out. I think Bauer did a great job, and I think also that the printing process is just going to get even better. You're going to see really creative stuff, and like Henrik Lundqvist's pads are just they're out of control this year. And it's unique too. I mean, you see a lot of all well, there's you see with any brand, you see a bunch of different you see customization things like that. But a lot of it's still kind of just the same pattern, different colors. It's I mean, I don't think you're going to see anyone else have a setup like yours this year. <laughs> yeah, I, I would doubt it. I mean, I, I know they've been working on different custom ones for guys. and um, You know, I don't know if this will be a one-off deal or if I'll keep using it. I suspect I'll use it all year because I just, I, I just like it so much. But I, 
the, the pad designs over the years I've kind of been turned off to. I mean, you know, they they look like bad tribal tattoos for a couple of years, and they've they're just really angular now, and they don't follow the natural contours of the pad. And these ones look just they just spoke to me. I thought it'd be really cool to do. How many uh, pads, gloves for typical season? This is a question sometimes people ask me. I'm curious from players. How many pads, gloves do you, do you go through in a season? Is it is it one? Does one make it? Was one pair of pads make it through the whole season for you? What's the kind of breakdown for you? So I use I use one pair of skates a year. I'm pretty easy on those. Uh, I use one pair of pants. I'd prefer to have two arm and chest protectors because they get pretty beat up during the mm-hmm. season, especially because every uh, young player out of junior or college is trying to prove a point in practice, and the shots are just higher and higher the younger they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I go through at minimum two sets of pads, four sets of gloves and blockers. Mm-hmm. Um, realistically, I, if we go, if I know a playoff run's coming, a third set of pads is definitely going to be needed. Mm-hmm. And that's just the reality of it. You know, you break them down over how many yeah. thousands of shots you get in practice. And, you know, broken down for me is a lot different than what broken down for a beer leaguer would be. Yeah. You know, you can use pads for a long time. Oh, yeah. Uh, but to me, it, it's a it's a level of rebound control and, and you want equipment that's sharp crisp does what you want and for me I, I, I like newer feeling gear like yeah. I can use pads right out of the box mm-hmm. yeah. the only thing that I can glove takes me two or three practices yeah. and that's purely like a baseball glove to get it to kind of just yeah. mold your hand that's about mm-hmm. it I know it's funny just how you find what you like too because I know for example um, and I've drawn the blank on which it was but I know Kari's Kari Lettinen's skate that he wears right now it's one that they haven't made for about eight years, yeah, and they it's wild. and they for and I think he, he was telling me uh, this time I was asking him last year and he there was a, he had a he had a stock of them but um, they were running out and they actually found I think it was in either Montana or Idaho I'll have to ask him to get the exact answer but he found a sporting goods store that had about six about five or six of them in stock that they bought they bought we'll from, take them all that, that, that they bought in bulk from there so it's kind of funny to see how guys get the you find what you like too, and well, it's like a, it's, that's the biggest it, it, thing. I mean, it's it's really rare that you find a pro that finds a skate literally right off the shelf that he wants oh, yeah. like that. You know, our, everything we have is custom, and I mean that particular skate that he wears made my feet bleed when I tried him, you know, a dozen years ago. <laughs> yeah. So, hundred um, percent is what you're comfortable in, mm-hmm. and once you find something, it's I get it. You know, you don't want to give it up. But I, I've always tried to kind of I've tried to keep up with technology as much as I can because yeah. I need all the help I can get. Um, but you see that, I mean, Archer Zerbe ran an ad in Goalies World magazine a bunch of years ago because he was literally running out of helmets. Yeah. And it's the exact same thing. He was trying to find these old Jofa helmets and cages that weren't in production, and he had to reach out to the general public to find them. And he was a guy who, he even, remember hearing stories about how he would be stitching his own pads and, oh. and doing his own. The, the old legend is that he had the bus driver run over his pads in San Jose. Yeah. That was the legend. And he's also the only guy I know that ever... I mean, you used to be able to, like, restuff pads back in the old days when they were stuffed with deer hair. Yeah. Like, they would take that out and they'd restuff them. And that, those were years ago. He was the only guy I ever heard of that has pads reskinned. <laughs> so they kept everything on the interior yeah. and they reskinned them. And he, he, was, uh, he was a case study in equipment, man. <laughs> Similar note equipment, and this kind of connects to how we opened uh, your mask. I know you've kind of... Kept, always kept a kind of simple look on the front with the team design, but in the back you've found kind of a nice connection to both your music interests and the team now, right? This year especially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and like you said, my mask is always 
I've kind of had this same racing-inspired design. Yep. That um, there's a guy named Jeff Ward that raced Indy cars a bunch of years ago, and um, a friend of mine in IndyCar, it's a PR guy for Honda, got us some pictures of it, and um, I've used that same basic design for years, and it's kind of my ode to. My, I grew up in racing and open wheel mm-hmm. racing. My dad raced, and you know, I, I was horrible in carts for a few <laughs> years, so I at least dabbled, but. Yeah. Um, so, you know, race car drivers tend to keep the same helmet design, and that's how they're known. And goalies used to be like that, too. Belfort, Cujo, you know, on down the list, Turco. Turks yeah. had those gargoyles that everybody knew. Mm-hmm. And that's gone away, and I, I just wanted to keep that, you know, same design. So I've got that, and then on the back plate this year, I've always had this little character on my back plate since college, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have a name or anything, yeah. but um, he always had a halo, which represent the skating saints of St. Lawrence, where I went to school, mm-hmm. getting Bay Ra- you know, couple other guys in the organization yep. now um, and he also had his hand raised in the hair yeah like a little metal guy holding the devil you know like yeah. the, the universal metal sign and um, I guess Texas Longhorns now yeah. too kind yeah. of right but uh, yeah. but this year was special so my best friend had drawn this character for me the last couple of years in different incarnations when <laughs> I was with Arizona he was a cowboy last two years with Florida he was a beach bum that one was really funny, by the yeah. way. But this one this year, I, as soon as I signed with Dallas, I go, man, we've got to do this. Like, we've got to do a tribute to uh, to Daryl Abbott, who was Pantera's guitarist. Mm-hmm. Who, I mean, Pantera, they play our song when we come out, when yeah. we score, that's Pantera. And when they won the cup back in the day, there's endless stories of partying with those guys yeah. and, and them being close with the team. And um, he was tragically killed, you know, a decade ago now, I guess. And I don't, he's a guy that to me like was a, a music hero to me growing up and it just seemed like the right thing I said we got to do our do the characters dime this year there's just no way around it and he nailed it and so it's been really cool I've got some friends in music that have have shown it to his brother um, yeah. you know who's Vinnie Paul who's the drummer and um, and dimes dimes girl Rita I mean it's been really cool the response on it I saw you. Uh, I saw you showed it to Craig Ludwig the other day too. Yeah, but, yeah. So he's he's yeah. known those guys since the, yeah. the Cup days, you know. And um, he, him and Vinnie Paul, I guess, are, are friends, and he'd shown it to him. And so I'm I'm really really hoping I get the chance to to show it to Vinnie in person and and Rita. That would really be cool. And um, you know, maybe at the end of the year I can can pass that back plate along to him. That'd be really cool. We've talked about one thing we didn't even touch on yet. Just I know. You're a bit of a. Uh, I remember uh, Cameron Gons told me this. Former Cameron Gons talked to him uh, after he played with you. He told me that you were the resident foodie for the year uh, when you guys played together in, in Portland. And um, so, where? And I, and I remember on Twitter a couple weeks ago, you were having people tell you what name three restaurants, and you'll tell them where to go eat or whatever, something yep. like that. So. Is that that sounds like it's been the uh, benefit for you. You may know where to eat everywhere, every city in the AHL. You probably know the place to eat, right? In the east, especially, but in the <laughs> west, I'm getting there too. And I try. I actually don't like to use the term foodie for myself because I think it's really pretentious, and I also think that I don't qualify because I don't really like cheese and charcuterie much. <laughs> and I feel like you have to be if you're really an elitist food person, yeah. you got to love those things. But yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I cook all the time, and that's really nice of Cam to say because I had him over to cook a dinner for him a few times, so it means I didn't. It, yeah. He thought it was halfway decent. Yeah. Yep. Um, by the way, Cam was awesome. Like he was, mm-hmm. man. He would. What a great guy with playing with my daughter and just super dude and a great player. Um, but yeah, I, I I love it, and that's Austin was so attractive to us because of that too. Is mm-hmm. 
you know, Portland, Maine, I would put up with anywhere. Amazing food city. And, and Austin, though, when I tell all my chef friends that I just signed there, they were blowing up. They were like, we got to make a trip now, you know. <laughs> and, and it's amazing how social media has worked, though, like you say, because I've gotten friends now in the music world and the food world. And I mean, like I said before, I'm not naive. I mean, yeah. I, I'm a primarily minor league guy in the, from my course of my career. Mm-hmm. Obviously, aspirations are more. But, yeah. um, you know, we kind of gravitate to one another. You know, you find mutual interests and... Next thing you know, a James Beard winner's inviting you into the kitchen to stage for a day. And mm-hmm. you know, in Springfield, the team had me do a, a burger battle, live cooking competition that <laughs> I was more nervous for than a game. And thankfully, they stuffed the ballot box and we won that. But yeah, I I love it. I mean, I'm. It's just to me, it's almost kind of it's like art. And mm-hmm. I'm not a big traditional art fan, but something that I can eat that looks cool, I'm in on it. So both Dallas for both up here and Austin so far what are the places that if, that you've discovered and any place you I mean I know it's been training camp and it's been busy but have you got a chance to discover any places uh, in all yet? honesty I can't answer to Dallas yet yeah. because I've just I don't I haven't had my car here and we haven't had that many meals to really yeah. do it and I, so I can't really answer that yet and as far as Austin too I got to find a babysitter before we get our <laughs> nights out so yeah honestly if, if I pull out my phone though I got a list of about 20 restaurants on it that I've mm-hmm. had teed up from uh, places that I find them and whether it's reading food and wine or Bon Appetit or reading Eater or just friends that tell me places to go I there's a whole bunch I want to try and um, I had a couple great meals when I was with Peoria years ago we ate it I remember we ate at Uchico and it was absolutely fantastic ate at a place called Parkside down on the six like mm-hmm. we're ready for it I just got to find a babysitter <laughs> <laughs> the uh do you have the young guys or any anyone like that? Have you ever? Is there any other guys who have ever? Are you giving out restaurant suggestions to them in the locker room? Oh, or yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> you know what? I'm yeah. trying to steer them clear of. I'm trying to steer them clear of chicken parm, <laughs> and I'm trying to steer them clear of just going to chain restaurants all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the biggest thing for me. And, and I like listen. There's chain restaurants that are good. There's no. I, mm-hmm. You can walk in and get an okay meal, but like to me, it just gets boring. You know? Oh, steak. Or a ta- like, it seems like everybody thinks if you're going out to eat, it's steak or Italian. And I'm just bored by it, you know? And I'm at the point where if a place doesn't make their own noodles, I don't want to eat there for Italian, right? And I, I, my, my dining interests have just changed so much now that I've been willing to try things. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I always try to grab a handful of guys when we're out of town and take them to a place that I think they'll enjoy and might kind of open their eyes to the world a little bit. I know it was on a... Uh on a different level because it was in the ECHL, but I wanted to pick just as someone who's played in Vegas, obviously hockey in Vegas is something that's, there's an NHL team there and obviously different level um, being the ECHL team, but what was it like playing hockey in Vegas and is there, I don't know, do you see, is there anything that those guys can expect that are playing there now? I know obviously they're in a different level, but still at the same city. It was an amazing place to play and it was an amazing place because we had a great team that all got along really well and had a lot of fun together. And we had, we had Glenn Gulletson as our coach, who people within Dallas organization will be very familiar with. And Gully was a great man and a great coach. And, you know, we've had a lot of people that actually came from that. Our equipment guy here, Brian Elvis Garcia, is from there. The head of the, uh, you know, Michael DeLay in Austin, who runs the organization, uh, runs the you know, business side, was from the Wranglers. And it's a really unique city but it's almost not as unique as people think in that they're going to have to have season ticket holders to make the place work and so we'll see how it goes but as a player there we were it was echl we weren't making much money but man we had connections everywhere 
and that was a credit to our front office but you know if you wanted tickets to go see blue man group or cirque du soleil you put your request in and they'd be there for you mm-hmm. you know yeah and, and these are we're not guys that were <laughs> we weren't whales or we weren't you know gambling around town but that's just the perks of that city when you live there so i think the players are going to really be able to have a unique experience that they'll enjoy and um but i also think the ones that have families will realize how good of a city it is for families there's parks everything's so new and pre-planned that there's parks everywhere there's mm-hmm. there's pools everywhere and it's a lot like the cedar park area yeah. i find i see a lot of similarities in it i know adam cracknell told me from when he played there one of, one of the nice things about it was that there was always something for family to do when they came in it was a city where if someone came in and if you needed to get a nap in before the game or it's not like you had to worry about entertaining anyone <laughs> never no there was always something to do and like I say, I mean, even if you didn't gamble or, or, or party or anything, there was stuff to do there. And just a cool place, you know. I mean, my roommate played enough poker and won enough money at poker that he got invited to play tournaments, you know, at the yeah. Venetian. And <laughs> just these wild stories like that. We could go on forever with them. One thing that, uh, and one of the ways that I ended up connecting with you even to bring you on the podcast was I asked you on Twitter. And I know you got, you mentioned earlier how you use social media as just this outlet to connect both your music interest, your cooking interest, your hockey interest, everything like that. How do you kind of, uh, how do you manage it? Because I know some guys, there's, it's a social media world now where there's guys have, there's, it's a fishbowl almost for, it can be almost a fishbowl. How do you kind of manage it and, and handle social media just as a professional athlete now? Well, I think first off, you'll probably find as the season goes on, I, especially when it comes to a weekend with games, I don't, I don't tweet at all on game days. I, I mean, that's my own rule. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I find I use it less then, mm-hmm. um, but I, I use it because it's it's fun, and I think in a controlled manner, it's healthy for everybody. I think it's what something that has done a great job of humanizing the players and letting people see us as people and what interests us, and that we're not just machines and robots. And you know, in that same sense, some guys are just very private, and that's not what they want to do, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And you know, I live pretty openly on it, but I'm not giving away the world secrets and I try not to overuse it I mean kind of have an unwritten rule with myself that I won't you know I'm not going to tweet more than five times today you know what I mean and yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I just because mm-hmm. I've followed people that have just turned me off because they're on it all the time it feels like yeah and, um, but the fan connection is just awesome with it mm-hmm. you know you see people that send that will send pictures to you and, and some are incredible and then yeah um, and just meeting people along the way or maybe a, a kid sends a message or something it's i just think it's a really positive healthy thing if it's used in the right way and for those that don't want to use it in positive ways there's a block button yeah and it works really well <laughs> it's i can't remember who said it but i remember reading something the other day about one of one pro athlete said it's like it's almost like the autograph of today where it's something where it's it used to be and kid people still want and they still go after autographs and everything like that but now getting a like or a retweet from one is mm-hmm. almost like getting what an autograph was when it used to be five ten years ago or maybe yeah. even still today yeah i mean it's it's changed a lot like that and you know the thing about social media is that if you use it enough i mean the chances are you might screw up at some point you know that's reality yeah. like it's so hard even if you say something that you don't realize that maybe later oh maybe it kind of had a little tone that i didn't want or something and you just all you can do is own it you know you can't hide from it and People grow and learn as people, but um, like I say, I've had so many positive experiences that have I can't I honestly can't believe how how 
I hardly ever get trolled anymore. Yeah. When it first came out, it was almost like people troll you all the time, like after a game, and now it just doesn't happen very often, and that's really cool. I mean, I kind of a credit to the people that use it, you know, <laughs> but um, like you say, I mean, there is a block button if you need to use it, too. Mm-hmm. want to, uh, touched on it earlier, but just it was something that was, I remember from our conversation from before we started recording, just how you mentioned how... When you were able to play the puck right, play the puck right-handed, that from 10 to 16 years old, you were probably the best puck handling goal you ever saw yeah. on the ice. I mean, just because of the other guys were trying to figure it out and or things like that. Well, that's you know, from that age group, guys were turning the stick over and trying to shoot the other direction, yeah. right? So, yeah, I mean, I was, I could always shoot the puck. I mean, I could shoot the puck to the far blue line when I was 15, mm-hmm. and now everybody's caught up to me. Yeah. So. <laughs> We talked about efficiency earlier. Mm-hmm. I've had to find ways to become more efficient as a puck handler, and I actually find myself that I don't really shoot the puck that often anymore. It's about having a system with your defenseman, getting out, stopping the puck, and getting the breakout going. And usually that's a smart 15-foot pass is all you need. Um, it's nice to still have the ability to clear the zone if you need to, um, but we've, we've really started to incorporate goaltenders into system work and breakouts. That was kind of one thing that I... It was neat to watch uh, Ben play in the game yeah, Tuesday. I mean, Bish is a fantastic puck handler. He so. does that. He does a great job, and I think that's something where everyone thinks about the long breakout passes and things like that. And those are still part of the game, but just the the little plays, like I think last year in the playoffs with Nashville, where uh, Pecorini did such a good job of just being patient with the puck and creating it and getting the defense a chance. Um, is it fun for you to watch a guy like Ben handle the puck like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's. I mean. Ben and I have known each other. We're both St. Louis guys, yeah. too. So um, I love it, man. I love watching guys that handle it with, with poise, with you know, with confidence. And a lot of that comes, though, from having confidence in your defensemen that they know where to be and how to play with you. And mm-hmm. it's you can feel like you're on an island if, it's, if there's not a synergy there. So that comes with it. But kind of a funny side note is a couple of years ago, uh, Bish led the NHL in scoring, and I led the American League in <laughs> scoring. So we were yeah. all pumped because we had two – you know, St. Louis guys that were lead the respective yeah. leagues, you know. It was kind of a cool moment for us to share. <laughs> Have you ever taken a shot in an empty net? I scored in junior. Scored in junior. Okay. Greg Rallo was my teammate. Okay. <laughs> um, we won't talk about what happened after that because I'm embarrassed by it, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I scored a goal in junior. So it was, I was 17 years old on St. Patrick's Day, the last game I ever played in Springfield, Illinois. And I've had realistically probably two chances since mm-hmm. and one of them ended up being an assist because it didn't have enough juice and then the other one I bailed because I didn't think I had a lane on it so mm-hmm. it's become harder now that we've got the trapezoid I mean yeah. where I shot mine from the first time was about seven or eight feet off to the side and I would have been in the restricted area now mm-hmm. so I think that's kind of cramped our style a little I wish they'd get rid of it but it doesn't seem to be any appetite too and that's but that's really the only thing it's really taken away because the guys who are pretty good at puck handling. They can still take advantage of it behind the net and, and do a good cool. job. I, honestly, I think it made us better puck handlers. I think it took the guys that couldn't handle it at all and it made them effective mm-hmm. because what happened is as soon as we put restricted areas out there, it made us create a system because we couldn't roam anywhere. And it used to be, if you talk to Turks, if you talk to all these guys, like to me, uh, Marty Brodeur was the guy who really jump-started a lot mm-hmm. of this, but I thought that Turco and DPHRO, those guys took it to a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. And that's when the system work started to come because now you get out and you can't go in these areas, now you have to make a pass. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you, you made guys who couldn't even break a pane of glass efficient because if they can get out and at least stop it and kind of shuffle it 10 feet along, they were effective now. Mm -hmm. So I think if you'd let us roam again, you'd really see the separation again, who can really do it and, you know, who's just playing the system game. That's interesting because I, I hadn't thought about it that way because I guess you, know, you put the you created created more of that it's really cliche but the third defenseman <laughs> created more importance on the guys being able to do that I know it's cliche to use that word but it, it, it's, I think it's it's still fair to use though yeah I, I think it's accurate for sure I mean we we're so it, it's really apparent when somebody who doesn't isn't willing to do it is out there you know so. The biggest thing is trying to make it easier on your defensemen. You don't want them to get run through the boards all the time if you can. And if we get out there and handle it, we can't be hit. You know, so we take that pressure off your D. Um, makes it easier on them. Last one, and I'll let you go. You've got the uh, crossword here. Is that a daily uh, routine for you? Or? In, yeah, in season it is. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I need to wake my mind up as much as my body. And I love doing them, and it's... They're fun for me during the season to grab it, and I've got my own clipboard, yeah. and I always get guys always give me a hard time about that, and that's fine. It's it's you know stuff to do a crossword without a clipboard, so it goes with me. <laughs> and you just from the local paper or a particular paper? I know some I'm, people. I'm a USA Today guy. Okay. Yeah, I like theirs. I people always ask me, oh, you're doing a weekend. It must get harder, and I've never experienced that. <laughs> I think they're all kind of equal, but yeah, USA Today is like right in my it's right in my wheelhouse because I can usually. If I don't finish it, I'm, I'm usually really close to doing it. <laughs> well, Mike, thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it, and uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you get to the crossword. I appreciate. Yeah, <laughs> it's my pleasure. I, I'm, I'm thankful you had me on, and hopefully people can kind of learn something about me. It's good. Thank you.